A young father-to-be was pacing back and forth, wringing his hands in the hospital corridor while his wife was in labor. He was tied up in knots of fear and anxiety, and beads of perspiration dropping from his brow revealed the agony of his suffering. Finally, at four in the morning, a nurse popped out of the door and said, well, sir, you have a little girl. He dropped his hands, became limp, and said, oh, how I thank God, it's a girl. She'll never have to go through the awful agony I have had to go through this night. (laughs) (laughs) So what I want to look at first this morning on this Father's Day is our Heavenly Father and our honor of Him. So let's take a look at some of these things the Bible says about Him. And first, 1 John 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And the type of love that God the Father bestows upon us is unconditional love. And that is the meaning of the word used here by the Apostle John in the Greek language. God, in his unconditional love, has made us children of his. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. And here we are told that while Jesus comforts our hearts and establishes every good work and word, It is our Heavenly Father who loves us and consoles us, giving us hope through His grace. In Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And it was by the will of our Heavenly Father that Jesus, His Son, should die for our sins. God is concerned for and about us, and he is interested in every intimate detail of our lives. He never gives up on us and stands with us in both the good and bad times that happen in our lives. He gives us hope and heals us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. So this morning, In honor of Father's Day, we're going to look at a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And I'll be using the New King James Version this morning. Luke 15, verse 11 to 32. Now in this parable, we are going to see two lost sons. Now usually this parable is called the lost son, or some say the prodigal son. But however, we are going to see that both sons become lost spiritually, or became lost spiritually. The younger son became lost in prodigal, that is, recklessly wasteful living, after he ran away from home. The older son, however, was lost in his own home, in his own self-righteousness. And in both cases, and this is the main point of the parable, 
we will see the Father's grace toward his two lost sons. The actions and the attitudes of the Father represent the attitudes and actions of God. The two sons in today's text are us. And we will realize who we are and who God is through this parable. Now Jesus never used the term parable, uh, prodigal, prodigal son. He simply begins the story in verses 11 and 12. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now to ask one's father for one share of the inheritance early, back in Jesus' day, was unheard of. So do you understand what this younger son is saying to his father? He was telling his father, I wish you were dead. Then I could have my inheritance. But I'm tired of waiting for you to cooperate. So I want it right now. <clears throat> so how did this father react? He did as his son asked him. Now in real life, this request would have been met with refusal, anger, and punishment. And you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. <coughs> and according to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 16 and 17, when dividing the property, two-thirds went to the first son and a third to the second. So, after the father has divided things, he gives the son his portion, and then we are told in the first part of verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. Now this indicates that very little time has passed, and the son has packed and is leaving. He's in a hurry. And the phrase gathered all literally means he turned everything into cash. Now in order for the son to have sold everything, including a third of the family land, he most likely would have sold at a low price in order to liquidate things as quickly as he wanted to, in order so he could get out of there. Now this would have taken a big toll on the family overall, too, because now a third of what was most likely tied to the family income was gone. Not only would the family have suffered financially due to this, but the father's reputation would surely have been in question. Everyone around would have heard of what was going on, especially as the son was going around liquidating things. And so the father was not only losing out financially, but the destructive relationship would have brought about public humiliation in the father's name. The grace of God is pictured here as willing to overlook the insult and heartbreak of his son's selfish request. He does not disown or despise his son, but desires the best for him, even while the son does not choose the best for himself. 
And even while the son has no concern for the father. Now continuing in verse 13. The son journeyed to a far country to distance himself from his father. And there wasted his possessions in, with prodigal living. All that the father had generously given to him is wasted on his own pleasures. In the distant country, the younger son wastes what the father has so graciously given to him <clears throat> in wild living. And even in this wasting of all that the father had given the son, we see no sign that the father turns his heart away from his lost son. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in need. The money is all gone. His friends are all gone. A severe famine breaks out, and he is in need. The son had never been in need before. He had come from a rich family, and servants supplied everything he wanted. But now he was in need. He is literally starving to death. And so verse 15 tells us, <clears throat> Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now the Greek word translated hired himself or joined himself is kalo, and means to glue or to glue together. And essentially, this son became a slave to the citizen of a far country because of his need. And feeding swine was an insulting job for a Jewish per person, since pigs were unclean according to the law of Moses. Now it can be hard for us to grasp how this would be for someone from a culture that regards pigs with disgust. But the son accepts even this. He is that desperate. So desperate, in fact, that verse 16 tells us, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, ate and no one gave him anything. Here is a well-to-do Jewish young man working with unclean pigs. And not only working with them, but being so low, he even desired to eat what they were eating. Things were getting worse for him, and there was no, no relief in sight. He was finally at the end of his rope, unable to provide anything for himself. He was broke, he was starving, and death was surely in his near future. And so he decided there was only one option left. The lost son's only hope was to return to the father. Now verses 17 to 19 mark a shift in the story and a turn in the life of this selfish, sinful son. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, that is, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. When the son realized the reality of his situation, that he had disgraced his father and treated him very poorly, he realizes that his actions mean that his part of his inheritance is gone and he is no longer entitled to anything from his father, even to be called his son. Everything he thought would bring happiness, money, friends, reckless living, getting away from his father, only served to enslave him. Now one thing we should notice here is that the son was not repentant at this time. Because he was in dire straits with no other options, he would choose what he believes is the right things to say, hoping that his father would have him back as a servant. He does not ask to be restored to the former relationship as a son. The son is seeing the root issue to be focused on is his losing everything and starving and not the breaking of a relationship or breaking his father's heart. It seems here he is not aware of what he has actually done. He simply wants to return and get food. If this son had not ended up like he had, chances are he would never have ever considered returning home. He was only doing so now because he was so desperate. Nevertheless, we should take a careful look at his father's actions here in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now here we see picture the father who represents God, unchanged in his love for his son and willing to forgive him. So have you ever considered that the father saw his son while he was still a long way off? The father seemed to have always been waiting for his son to come back. He had spent most of his evenings and mornings, gay mornings, not M-O-U-R, but anyway. They sound the same though, right? Okay, so he had spent most of his evenings and mornings gazing over the horizon and praying for the return of his son. Not only did the father see his son from far away, but he also felt compassion. The father is so happy that his son is alive that he did something that dignified elderly rich men simply did not do in ancient times. He rolled up his robe and ran across the field and embraced and kissed his son. Now the Greek word used here for ran is a technical term used for foot races in the stadium. And so we are actually told that this father raced to the son with urgency. And this is the picture of how ready our Heavenly Father is to forgive us, giving his all 
to reconcile his creation to himself. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The story continues. The son begins to rehearse his plea. Verse 21. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He is right. He had sinned against God. <clears throat> and one side of true repentance is we feel completely unworthy of our father to call us a son or a daughter. Now the son began his speech, but he was not given the chance by the father to ask to become one of his hired servants as he had practiced. And the father says to his servants in verses 22, 23, and 24, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. With joy, the father immediately reinstates him to the family, calling for the best robe. And that would be his own robe to be put on him. The ring put on his finger would be a signet ring, denoting him as the father's son and not as a hired servant. The son traveled from a far country barefoot, but he wouldn't stay that way. The servants were barefoot, but not a son. And the father also calls for a celebration. The fatted calf was killed, and the whole household celebrated at the son's return. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is now found. Now, <clears throat> about the fatted calf. For most of their lives, cattle graze on the grass of the field. But grass-fed beef is very lean. In order for the meat to be tasty, tender, juicy, there has to be a decent fat content. Nutritionists or dietitians will tell you it's the fat that makes the food taste good. I never realized that until we start watching these food shows. <laughs> but it's the fat that makes the food taste good. And the way to fatten up beef is to feed them a diet rich in grains. Now on that day, the Father's Day, it would take about two months to sufficiently fatten up a calf. Feeding grain to cattle entailed considerable cost. So it wasn't normally done. So, why is, was there a fatted calf ready and waiting when the son returned? Because the father didn't just hope his son would return. He prepared for it. The whole time the son was gone, there was always a fatted calf just waiting for the homecoming feast. Such was the love of this father. The younger son was fully restored into the family and given a status 
he had never earned and no longer deserved. The younger son experienced what we as Christians call the grace of God. In love, the father restored both his dignity and his status as a son. Now the story could have ended here and everyone lived happily ever after. However, if this were the case, then Jesus' introduction would have had no meaning. In the beginning of the story, in verse 11, he said a certain man had two sons. And everyone celebrated that day except one, the older son. I'll read that in verses 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and wouldn't go in. And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Look, these many years I have been serving you. I never disobeyed your command at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And his father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And it was right that we should celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and he was lost, and now he is found. <clears throat> Jesus is the master storyteller, and we can see this in how he introduces the two sons to us, where the story of the younger son begins with him asking for a part of his inheritance, so he can go and spend it on himself in a far country. The story of the older son begins with him working in the field on the family farm. And here's the twist Jesus puts on this story. <clears throat> the younger son, the one who took the third of his father's estate, the one who wasted it all, the one who loved money more than his father, etc., is now reconciled to the Father through repentance. However, there remains one son who is totally estranged from him. The older brother has been near the Father the whole time. He has been busy obeying even the commands of the Father, and yet his heart is not in line with the Father. Will the older son come to understand that through his working for his father's acceptance, he also is in need of repentance? The father longed for the return of the son who left and went to the far country, and he also longed for the return of the son who never left home. As the older son drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and called one of the servants to ask what this meant. And he found out that this was a celebration put on by the father for the safe return of his younger son. The older brother is angry 
and refuses to join the party. He could not understand why the father would lavish such grace on someone who had treated him so terribly. He couldn't understand grace and forgiveness. For the older son, this whole situation is inconceivable. Reconciliation and restoration cannot occur without a penalty being paid by the offending party. That is the way it is to be. And since that is not what has happened, the older son is too angry to take part in any of it. The father leaves the celebration and invites the older son to join in as well. But all the older son could do is express anger at the father's mercy. Now pay special attention to the older brother's complaint because it reveals his motive, his heart, and his attitude, which Jesus is wanting to expose through this parable. He begins to, his answer to the Father with the word, look, low in some Bibles, but look. The older brother is going to set the Father straight about how he should respond to his sinful son. He says to the Father, these many years I have been serving you and have never disobeyed your command. The older son is working for his father as a slave, as a servant, not as a son. He sees his relationship with his father according to what he deserves as the reward he merits for his work. Love and grace have no part in this relationship. The older son blames his father for not rewarding his hard work. He says, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The son is operating on the value of work and reward, and the father is operating on the value of love and grace. The older brother was angry at his brother, younger brother for returning home. And notice how he addresses his brother in verse 30. This son of yours. They both have the same father. And yet he will not associate, be associated with him in a family setting. He disowns his brother. And in the process he also disowns his father for receiving his younger brother, brother back into the family again. And as the parable closes, we once again see grace and compassion of God in the father of these two sons. The father does not respond in anger. He overlooks the disrespect, the bitterness, the arrogance, and the accusation of favoritism. He addresses the older brother compassionately and calls him son. Then the father compassionately assures his son of his love. Son, you are always with me. And this father desires to draw near to his son in love and desires his son to draw near to him in love. Then he assures that this son that all that I have is yours. What is left of the inheritance 
two-thirds all belongs to him. All that he has worked obediently for is still his to possess. He hasn't lost anything. And the only rebuke is that the older son should likewise be celebrating at the return of his lost brother. He should be showing appreciation that the son, lost son has returned and been restored to the fellowship of the family. It was right to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. But now, it's obvious that the father in this story represents God, our Father in heaven, <clears throat> all-knowing, all-loving, all-merciful, and all-forgiving. And he lets us go our own way, because sometimes that's the only way we will learn. You can tell a, <clears throat> excuse me, a child not to touch a hot stove over and over again, but you know what? He won't believe you until he touches it. Jesus tells us in this story that our Father in heaven not only longs for us to return to him, but he is always preparing a banquet for our return. In the parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, verses 1 to 7, Jesus concludes with, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, I take comfort in that. There's going to be a party for me when I get to heaven. All the believers, all the ones that have gone on before us, all the saints are going to be shouting, hey, it's Ross! <laughs> who have that was possible. <laughs> and I'm going to say, God did. So on this Father's Day, let us remember the one Father figure we truly should emulate, our loving and merciful Father in heaven. So we bow in prayer. Father, there is such powerful truth embedded in this great story. And we thank you for it, Father. We thank you for how enriching it is for us and what it tells us about you. We love you, Father. We love you more when we know these things. We see you in a fresh way this morning, and so it's so real, it's fine. Thank you for telling us this story in simple ways that we can grasp. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the God that you are. We praise you, and we shall praise you forever and ever in your presence in heaven. We'll be there at the party, celebrating such a reconciling God who is in the end honored by being willing to bear shame. None of us will ever be honored by you until we have confronted the shame of our sin. And as we look into our own hearts today, we must ask ourselves, do I come to God with an attitude that he owes me something? Or do I come as a lowly, despised sinner and fall at the feet of Christ 
pleading for mercy. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for a great morning and a wonderful time of worship we've had here this morning. In Jesus' name.